Anybody have a remembrance of when we are where we are to begin this morning? I was going to take the time to go down through this entire alphabet up to this point, but the clock is ticking. Maybe I'll do that tonight. So you'll have to come back tonight if you need to be reminded. If you haven't been writing them down, I understand that. Some of you have been. What letter are we on? Q. Is that right? Everybody in agreement? Q. Letter number 17, I believe. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have of looking into your word, looking specifically at the Advent alphabet and these letters that are to be presented today. Pray that you would give that anointing that is needed, not only to myself as the speaker, but to each of us that we will receive. Open our heart, help us to worship, focus our attention, I pray, give that special anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. The letter Q, what in the world? How in the world do you find a letter Q that may in some way represent uh, uh, something to do with the, with the Advent? Well, let's look in, look in Luke's gospel, chapter number 1, verse number 34. We find uh, these words. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Did anybody find it there? I saw that, yes. Question. Question. You say, well, how does that represent anything? Well, first of all, first of all, the question is presented here. How shall this be? Maybe this is the very question that is really the foundation of all that is to follow. Because if we deny the virgin birth, the essence of the gospel is moot. If we deny the virgin birth, the virtue of the gospel is lost. If we deny the virgin birth, the value of the cross is diminished. Because there's so much we must understand. We can never lose sight of the reality and the belief in the virgin birth. Now let's take a little bit of time here to look at the question that Mary has asked. It's a perfectly natural question. There's nothing wrong with this question that Mary is asking She is betrothed, but not formally married. She has never been involved with a man in in, in a physical sense of of the marriage relationship. She understands the realities of life, and so the question arises, how then, how can this be? How can I become pregnant? How can I bear a son? Now, someone may say that she is doubting the angel's words, even even though the sound of it would be incredible. But she ultimately believed what the angel said. Her only question was, how can this happen? 
Now, if we were to paraphrase it this morning, she's saying to Gabriel, the angel, she said, all right, I'm willing to do my part, but you're going to have to explain to me how we'll handle this little problem that's going to arise from this. Now, when you look at it from, the, from a, a specific lens or a specific angle here to understand what Mary is saying, you can really understand that this is real faith. That Mary was believing even though she didn't understand. She was believing even though in her mind there was absolutely no possibility. You want to talk about impossible. This, in her mind, was impossible. But she decided that she was going to follow. She was going to believe. She was going to trust God even when the facts argued against it. Sometimes we uh, get a little lost in the romance of the Christmas pageant and we lose sight that Mary was a very real person. And really that's a shame that we think that Mary wasn't a real person because... Luke here tries to tell us in in this passage, in in the entirety here of this passage, Luke is trying to tell us, he's he's trying to alert us to the truth that Mary is very real. She is a woman in similar makeup as to any woman that's here. You know, I believe that the scripture tells us that the, the Old Testament prophet was a like person, like man, such as we are. You know, there's so many things that we, well, we get lost in, in the romance of the scriptures, and we think, well, these are, shoo, these are strange, these, extraordinary, these are way out here kind of people, and Mary's some romantic figure. But she's very real. Luke tells us that she has very real alarms. These alarms are going off in her head because because of very real questions. But in the midst of it all, she had a very real faith. She trusted. Maybe we can find the, and see the clarity of it in verse number 38 when she said, Behold, I am your servant, Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Do to me, let it be to me according to your word, according to your plan. Let your plan work out in my life. There is a clarity here of her faith in this message that is brought to her. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's in some people's minds an exaggeration, but perhaps this is one of the greatest statements of faith in the entirety of the Bible. At least it's up there pretty high in, in categorizing levels of faith or statements of faith. Mary had a statement of faith. I don't understand how this is going to happen, Lord, but I'm your servant, so allow your plan, let your plan be fulfilled in my life. Now, it wasn't without complications. It it wasn't without the possibility of difficulties. But we read it so often that sometimes we really forget how great it is. Try to put yourself in her shoes just for a little bit here. 
And you say, well, I'm a man, I can't put myself in her shoes. Well, let's do the best we can, even with that limitation. But, you know, somewhere around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're, you're about 16 years old, and you're very much in love, anticipating, anticipating the fullness of marriage, and, and you're asked by your parent to go fetch some water so that they could do the laundry. And so that while you're on your way to the well to draw up the water, you run into a man that you've never met in your entire life. I don't know, was he a good-looking guy? Was he a normal-looking fellow? Was there something different and odd about him? Was there something that, I don't know what all that was, but just, you know, just imagine what it could have been. And then he tells you that you're going to get pregnant, you're going to give birth to a son, and this son is going to be the son of God. And then when you ask him, how? This man tells you, don't worry about it, the Holy Spirit's going to cover you, and you're going to end up expecting a child, and that's all there is to it. (laughs) Imagine how you're going to feel. But Mary said yes. Yes to God, yes to the impossible, and yes to God's plan, even though there were potential complications for her life. She said yes. Now the angel did say nothing is impossible with God, and I suppose that Mary took a deep breath right then, and that's when she said, let it be according to your plan. And Christmas came into the world. Well, how can we re- <coughs> how can we relate this to our own selves? I've, I've quoted this before, but I'm going to use it again this morning. Maltby Babcock said, "If God then puts or permits anything hard in our lives, be sure that the real peril." The real trouble is what we lose if we flinch or rebel. The real peril, the real trouble is what we shall lose if we flinch or rebel. Even though Mary had this big question. And the real question, she did not question the plan. She simply said, yes. It's not a matter of praying for more faith, but it's praying that we will, that we within ourselves, that we will purpose to be like Mary, to believe in spite of all of the doubts. How shall this be? I trust when I cannot see. We can move quickly on here (coughs) to the letter R. Now, we have to go back sometime to find this particular letter, but we go back into Luke chapter number 1. And in verse number 72, these words are coming from Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And he said, he has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. You say, what's so significant about that? Well, let's take a breather here for a moment. What was it like just before Jesus came to earth? What was it like there? 
Part of the answer to that question would come from the, uh, the prophecy that Zechariah uh, gave, and, and the words of his prophecy are found there in, in uh, verse 60, uh, 68 to 79, I believe it is. Some of it kind of sounds strange to us. It's not something that we're used to. But in the midst of what, what Zechariah is saying, he is, he is revealing that there was a deep faith among some of the Jewish people, even on the very eve of the Messiah's arrival. You see, it was a dark day for them. There were, there were a lot of things that had transpired to cause them to easily lose sight of the coming, the promise of His coming. You know, it was about a thousand years or so since uh, the glory days of King David's kingdom. It was about 400 years since they had had a prophet in Israel. These were dark days for them. But there were still some that were waiting for the Messiah. And what Zechariah was revealing out of his heart is comprehended in a very simple truth. And that simple truth is that at long last, God has visited his people. That means that God did not forget his promise. He remembered. Now, it may be hard for us to uh, grasp and understand the fullness or the weight of that, of that thought. Here they are, the Israelite people that were, they were chafing under the, the Roman rule, and they were, they were basically reduced to an obscure uh, province in the Roman Empire. They, they were nothing. They were nobodies. You could say they were rejected, they were overlooked, they were despised. And as Zechariah looks down onto his infant son, he knows the crucial moment of the world has arrived. He looks down into that baby that he's holding in his arms, and he understands that this baby of his will grow up to prepare the way for the Messiah. He understood as he was holding that infant within his arms that it would mean, it meant to him that the Messiah was on his way. The long wait was over. God has remembered his promise. He has visited his people. Now Christmas is only basically seven days away, right? For most of us, it's, it's, it's just simply uh, six shopping days left. What does it mean for you these next seven days? What are you going to be doing these next seven days? Is it going to be a hustle and a bustle and we forget all about the reality of Christmas? Or are there some times and some moments that we will intentionally set aside and keep our mind focused on what this season really represents? What does it represent? We have seven days of praising till Christmas. We have seven days of singing till Christmas. We have seven days of worshiping till Christmas. What are we going to do with these seven days that are before us, before Christ is here, Jesus is here at last? 
the shepherds dropped everything so that they could welcome him. The wise men dropped everything so that they could welcome him. Will we also intentionally keep in our mind to remember along with the words that Zechariah has said that God remembered that we then will remember why Jesus came. That he remembers me even when I have forgotten him. That he came to me when I could not come to him. He remembers The letter S, we move to Luke chapter 2, verse 12. This will be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes or in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Have you ever thought about that sign? Is that the most odd sign? This shall be a sign unto you. A star in the east. How many of us would have recognized the Messiah's arrival by seeing the star in the east? This shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in strips of clothing, cloth. You'll find a baby in a manger. Well, the bottom line is... Humanity messed things up, and Jesus came in the midst of that mess. How could God visit us? But he did. How could God come? But he does. Sometimes he comes even in the most unlikely of ways. He came as he entered into a womb of a virgin woman and was born in an obscure place, in an obscure town, in a poor environment as a baby to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. But ultimately he was born to save us from our sins. Even though we blow it so badly. Well, we can blame everything on Adam and Eve in the garden, but really we've done it over and over again ourselves, have we not? He came and people killed him. He died and became the Savior of the world. You know, only God could have done something like that. C.S. Lewis said it this way, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. Write that down in your heart. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. It comes back to God has done it all. Wrapped up his baby. Wrapped up his son in swaddling clothes and said to the entirety of the world, even in this generation, he speaks to us in this time, this is my gift to you. That's the sign. The gift. It's the central truth of Christianity that God has entered into human history to provide for our salvation. What we could not do, He, through His Son, did for us. And everything else flows from this truth. 
Everything else flows from this truth. If he had not been born, he could not have died for our sins. He would not have risen from the dead. He had to become like us to save us. No other way. This shall be a sign unto you. This is a sign of his love. A babe wrapped in rags, lying in a manger. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But Jesus Christ came on the scene as a little baby to make way for us to be his children. Finally, let's look quickly at the letter T. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. Well, that's what some translations say. That's what the King James says. It just doesn't, they just don't use that word. Terrified. They were sore afraid. Very frightened. Maybe that's an archaic word there. Sore afraid or those uh, or archaic term. But I think we all understand what it means without any kind of an explanation. Sore afraid. I think it kind of resonates with us. We may not use that, but we can feel it. Could I say this morning that it's probably a natural reaction whenever God enters your world, our world? Terrified. One moment you and the other shepherds are out on this backside of a a hill somewhere, You're chatting out in the fields. The the sheep are sleeping peacefully, perhaps. It's a beautiful night in Judea. The sky is filled with stars. Maybe the moon's shining a little bit. There's a little campfire there, and you're, you're kind of glad for this nice, peaceful evening. And suddenly an angel shows up, scares you to death, sore afraid. I'm pretty certain that if an angel woke me up in the middle of the night and stood by me in the darkness, I'd be scared. I'd be looking to make sure that there wasn't the scythe hanging over him somewhere. You know, the angel of death, in case you didn't understand that. We'd be scared if we had that situation. Somebody out of the sky presents themselves... We'd be scared just like they were in the middle of the night, scared. The angel of the Lord stood before them. They were sore afraid. Really, it seems to be the way it happens every time an angel shows up. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, the angel said to Mary, fear not. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, the angel said to Joseph, fear not. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not. Now let me say this morning, and I want to say it carefully, cautiously. Sometimes we need a divine interruption so that God can speak clearly to us. Now I I say that cautiously because, because sometimes God has to get our attention through some rough means. Yeah. 
It's not always just simply an angel that would present himself to where we are so afraid. Sometimes there's pain involved. Sometimes there's problems involved. Sometimes the, the, the divine disruption is a trouble to us, and it's the only way God can speak to us. It's the only way that we can hear his voice. We want God to speak to us through the clamor of all of the noise that is around us. And we want Him to turn up the broadcasting system and, and turn up the, the, the loudspeakers. But, but in the midst of it all, we have to understand that most of the time, God's voice is a still, small voice. And sometimes we, He has to disrupt our lives so that we can hear Him clearly. When Christ came to this sad world, God was sin, sending his angels to say, pay attention, something big is happening here. If our greatest need was education, God would have sent a teacher. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent a banker or a businessman. If our greatest need would have been advice, God would have sent a counselor. But instead, our greatest need was forgiveness, and God sent a Savior in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. He is Christ the Lord, the Son of God, who came from heaven to earth. And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Offer forgiveness. On this Sunday morning, getting close to Christmas, we may have tried to do our best to push out the worries and, and, to, and to cast off the weights of fear. But if there's any sense of being sore afraid this, this morning, God has an answer, and it's not in some theory or even in some doctrine. God's answer is not in some seminar or in some book. His answer is in His Son. His answer is in His Son, he alone is the Lord of heaven. It's only through His name that we can be saved. All that God has for us and all that He has that is wrapped up around me, everything is found within His Son. No matter what the difficulties are that we face, no matter how fearful or scary the decisions we must make or, or how things look from our vantage point, God leads us back every single time to that single word, Jesus. Somebody said that when Billy Graham was asked what he hoped his last word would be, as he was dying, he said, I hope that my last word when I'm dying is simply Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus came to banish our fear. And may our faith rise to the point of contact with the Son of God, the, the Messiah, the birth of Christ, the reality of His coming, so that we can understand that when everything else around us is shifting sand, my hope is found in Him. So that we can stand even with New Testament Scripture that says, because if, if God is for us, who can be against us? Terrified? Sore afraid? 
It's all wrapped up and found. The answer to all of our perplexities in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together this morning. Six letters remain. Do we divide it up three and three or four and two? That's the next question. Be a hard decision when you look at those letters. Trust you have a good day today. Thank you for your attendance and attention this morning. May the spirit of Christmas go with you. Blessing in this Christmas season. Praise God. Byron, would you dismiss us in prayer?